0: Think you're really going to like this episode of STEM, insider tips for greenhouse pros. I'm Bill Calkins and our guest today returns to wrap up a three-part mini-series focused on garden mum production intended to help you produce the absolute best mum crops you possibly can using the most effective strategies. This time, Dr. Will Healy returns to guide you from the core production season to the end of the process, finishing strong and timing your crop for prime retail appearance and sell-through. Like I mentioned all the way back in Episode 30, Part 1 of this series, we're not releasing these episodes back-to-back-to-back, but instead when they're most relevant, because so many of you listen in real-time, more and more every episode. As with the first two, Episodes 30 and 35, this is a great one to share with your entire team, because keeping mums on schedule and in line requires a team effort. So sit back, grab a notebook, and enjoy the last in a three-part mini to lead you to mum stardom. And this time around, we're going to skip Connect Four and jump right into the deep end of the pool because finishing a strong crop requires 100% focus. By now you probably know Dr. Will Healy's credentials by heart, but when your bio is impressive as his, it's definitely worth repeating. As Senior Manager of Technical Services, Dr. Will Healy is responsible for developing production programs and operational efficiencies that produce consistent, high-quality young plants. He works with ball companies and customers throughout the world, training their staff in cutting-edge production practices. Over the past 30 years, Will has developed innovative operational approaches and scheduling programs that reduce shrink, improve operational efficiencies with reduced crop times. Will's current research emphasis focuses on reducing shrink throughout the supply chain, from the seed and cutting producers all the way through customers' retail operations. As growers move to performance-based trading, managing shrink has become the new ticket to play for growers at all levels. Since shrink must be evaluated holistically, Will has developed tools to optimize the product assortment, strategies that reduce buffer requirements, production techniques and process improvements to increase yields, and grower training to improve uniformity and overall quality. A key to Ball's success in young plant production has been the development of product standards and procedures to ensure consistent performance. Working with growers, Will has developed protocols that ensure consistent supplies for customers. These procedures involve operational software and plant culture aspects since no one aspect will ensure consistent supply. As the author of more than 400 Ball Culture Advisors, Will is well-versed in crop production. Before coming to Ball, Will was a faculty member at the University of Maryland and Colorado State University, where he published more than 30 scientific publications on floriculture production. Will received his Ph.D. from the University of Minnesota, working with Harold Wilkins. And as you'll hear, at Minnesota, he did a lot of work with Garden Moms. Will's a past guest covering watering in a two-part episode, which I'll put a link in the show notes. And this episode is the last of three parts focused on garden mum production. Expect Will to continue to be a frequent guest on STEM, covering even more timely topics going forward.
1: Will, welcome back to STEM. Well, good to be back. Fun topic. It's been an excellent summer, so let's get into it. Sounds
0: good. I really it's, it's hard to believe we're wrapping up uh, a three part series on garden mom production. It, you know, time flies when you're having fun, as they say. But I also want to remind the listeners to be sure to listen to the first two parts uh, back in episode 30 and 35, where uh, Dr. Healy and I covered this important crop by jumping into Two of the more critical elements in the early stages of garden mum production, that being temperature and feed. And then the next episode where we jumped into growing the crop, uh, strong plant growth, definitely looking for and catching the problems before they get too bad. And we introduced the idea of graphical tracking and some of the tools that are now available for that. So I thought, well, for the listeners, it might be helpful to hear a quick recap of some of the more critical points that we covered um, on propagation and plant growth. Uh, So can you maybe just give a really quick recap of part one and
1: two? Sure. Um, In part one, we really were talking about propagation, getting the crop off to a good start before you got it transplanted. And the keys to success there are remembering that these um, chrysanthemums, the garden mums, have this really unique flower initiation called thermal periodicity. You remember, Bill, what thermal periodicity was all about? Uh, why don't you give us a quick uh, okay. recap of that, um, so I don't mess yeah, it, it up. Was, yeah, well, it's really very simple. Is that thermal periodicity means that it's thermal temperature and periodicity, meaning photoperiod. The combination of the two basically caused flower initiation. And this is really important early in propagation, because if you get your unrooted cuttings or your liners cold early, they will bud up very rapidly, regardless of what the photoperiod is. We're gonna to need to remember that later on in this episode, as we basically use that same thermal periodicity to understand why the plants are blooming early or late in the season. So, but in um, number one, um, part one, if you, had problems with crown budding, then you probably need to go back and ask yourself the question, um, was I too cold? Did Were my plants um, subjected to a cold um, treatment? And of course, a cold treatment is anything um, below, say 65 degrees, you start having 55, 60 degrees, they can um, crown bud very rapidly. Now, the good news about modern garden mums is that they will grow out basically. so they'll do strong basal branching if you remember to have fertilized them and that was really the other topic we had during the propagation um, part one which was make sure that you're putting on adequate fertilization to keep the plants growing vigorously we wanted to make sure we had a lot of ammonia and that we also had a good um, deal of um, phosphorus from 201020 so or 2020 so you get that basal branching strong growth so we can start loading the crop up. You know, as we moved into um, episode part two, um, episode 35, we talked more about um, timing and making sure that we were looking at, um, are the plants starting to get up to the right size? You know, have you started your graphical tracking? Um, Again, are you feeding them aggressively? Um, What are you doing? What's your plan? What's your final goals? Um, and you know, have you started monitoring the plants for insects and disease. So at that point, you're now transplanted and you're out in the field for part two, um, and the plants should be moving along to this phase, which is now heading into the end of July, which is a critical time for um, garden mums and determining whether you're gonna have big monster mums or you're gonna have small runt mums. So let's talk a little bit about that, Bill.
0: I, absolutely, and and that's uh, a a great overview. I will remember next time you ask me, thermoperiodicity is temperature and photoperiod to initiate the flowers. That yep. uh, is something that I should have ingrained in my head after all these times we've talked about it. So last time when we talked, um, you felt like it was a pretty strong season so far. There was good quality unrooted cuttings shipping into growers. We also talked about some of the challenges, the lousy rainy cold weather. I'm guessing the story's a little bit different now that we've seen some hot days and drying out in most regions. So what does it look like out there? I know that there were probably some diseases occurring, but uh, right now, real time at the end of July, for those uh, not listening in real time, we are talking in the end of July, like Will said, it's pretty critical time for garden mom production. What's, what's it look like out there right now?
1: Well, hopefully um, all the listeners have been out walking their crop, and that means getting out and walking up and down every aisle. Um, inspecting, looking to see what's going on. What we're getting feedback from growers is there's really kind of two schools of growers out there. Those that have been monitoring it and watching and noticed that the, by and large, um, all of the crops are starting to come up to size. they look looked down, you don't see a lot of soil in the pot, so you don't see dirt. So they're filling out the pots nicely on the natural season product. Of course, some of those that are doing um, black cloth are already beginning to black cloth for the early ship weeks. So those should be, um, usually when you start initiations, you should be at about 50% of your final height. So if you're not at least at 50%, um, then you can pretty much predict how big you're going to be once you um, pull black cloth. So those of you who are doing natural season, we still have some time. So we don't really have to be as concerned to get up to size, but we do need to make sure we're doing the graphical tracking to make sure that the crop is on time.
0: I think that, the... that's, a, that's a good reminder. This is a hands-on crop. <clears> make <I'm> sure <throat> you're walking and examining uh, the crops, certainly, this time of year.
1: Right, because one of the problems that we're getting more feedback on um, in the last uh, two weeks, because it's been hot, is we're now starting to get um, comments about different disease problems. Remember those pots that are sitting on the south and west side of your um, production block outside, those pots, those nice black pots that you've got um, sitting on hopefully um, some reflective gravel, white gravel, and not just on black um, ground cloth, but if you're sitting on black ground cloth, that makes it worse, is that you're basically raising the temperature of the pot on that outside edge where it's exposed to the sunlight, oh, 120, 140, or even higher, depending upon how high the ambient temperatures are. Um, needless to say, you know, if you had your easy-bake oven, um, that would be good enough to bake cookies. And of course, um, it pretty much bakes off the roots. So what happens, we see, is that growers will have half their root system damaged due to excessive heat. Is there anything you can do about it? Well, not really, other than be aware of it and then monitor those to see if you've got any other disease problems, because damaged roots will have more disease issues. What are the diseases? We've got to make sure that we've got um, Pythium under control, and also have um, Phytophthora, which are both root rot diseases. Um, there's a lot of recommendations that you can get if you use the Ball um, Grower um, Grower Talks um, Insect and Disease Guide, which is available, I think, Bill on the Ball um, uh, the Grower Talks website. And I'll make
0: sure to link to that in the show notes. But yeah, you're right. That is an excellent, uh, excellent guide.
1: Yeah, that'd be an excellent guide to find um, various chemicals that will be able to be very effective at controlling um, root rots. So you want to be out there um, looking to see, um, pull those plants out. Just don't look at the tops, but pull them out because the roots as they develop now are what's basically going to carry you all the way to the end. So make sure you've got a good, strong root system um, at this point. If you're not, you may need to, get in there with some um, various um, uh, fungicides to drench on to control them. We have been um, getting a little bit of reports of fusarium. Um, The cuttings themselves are clean. We know that because they come from index stock. So this fusarium must be coming in from um, local sources, either your water or the ground that the soil, the plants are sitting on. Fusarium can come up and fusarium, usually what you'll see is a branch dying, so most of the plant is alive, 90% of the plant, but you got one branch, because fusarium is sometimes called um, um, branch rot or um, branch diseases. So um, take a look at that. Um, Looking at it is not going to be a good diagnostic. We do have diagnostic services. Most states have got a good plant pathology or plant diagnostic labs that you can send samples in, but make sure that you get it diagnosed so that you use the right chemical applied correctly. What we're seeing is, is people are spraying when they should be drenching um, for fusarium. And of course, they're finding that that doesn't work. So make sure that you get it diagnosed and that you apply the chemical chemistry correctly to um, make sure that you don't have any disease problems. But catching it early now will help you um, prevent problems later on. Also, um, so that's kind of where we should be at this point. Um, you know, And I can't stress enough that you're still feeding enough Um, growers that are feeding are finding it. Now, the other group of growers are the growers who are seeing problems. The problems that they are seeing is many cases, um, they didn't feed aggressively. They're only feeding at 100 parts per million um, because they're hoping that their slow release kicked in and maybe their slow release did not kick in early enough um, because, well, it just was so cold, it didn't start to release if they're using a temperature releasing um, slow release. So those growers are seeing um, advanced levels of chlorosis. They're seeing plants that are not sized out and starting to cover the soil. So they look down and they see a lot of soil down that pot. Um, That's not a good thing, needless to say. So you should be um, starting to see um, pretty much the plants filling out. So those are, um, if you're seeing that, um, what we recommend is get out there and um, do uh, one or two aggressive feeds with 400 parts per million to really push it. Of course, make sure you always check the EC and PH before you apply to make sure that those are not confounding um, factors. Um, If they have additional questions, of course, they can send them to me um, and we can kind of help work people through those problems. So that's kind of where they should be right now. If you're if you've been out walking and looking at your crop, hopefully everyone's in the first group, which is great crop, great size, no problems, and just a couple of people are struggling with um, a couple of varieties that are just not performing.
0: Sounds good. You know, I, I you mentioned the Pythium, Phytophthora, maybe a little bit of uh, issues you're hearing with Fusarium, and then the fact that temperature does affect your slow release fertilizers. So those are probably some of the the the. First things to take a look at, but like Will said, you want to catch these now, um, not have to deal with them uh, a few weeks from now. So make sure you're out there walking that crop. So that kind of sets the stage since this episode is going to be really about finishing the crop. We want to talk about hitting the plan specs, sending a you know what, what we consider a retail-ready crop to market, So maybe just tell us a little bit about what we're going to cover in the next 30 minutes or so. And I think it would be interesting to hear how you define retail ready, because, you know, I've looked at a lot of mom crops with a lot of different people and, you know, everyone sort of has a different thought when it comes to how many buds should be in bloom, how much green, how much flower when you send that crop to market. So what does what's retail ready mean to you? And um, and maybe a, a little bit about what we're going to talk about in the next 30 minutes.
1: Okay. Um, Well, retail ready, when I I think about mums, the the reason we have early mums, you know, these early crops is because we need to have um, some mums for early, you know, fill in the um, retail bench. You know, the great thing about mums is that their shelf life can be pretty long. You know, you can have um, anywhere between, um, you know, seven to 14 days of shelf life if you send the crop in at the right stage of development. Clearly, if you send mums in when they are um, green, there's no retailability. People buy color. The reason why they're buying mums is because of the color. So these early mums that are going into the market, you should be able to determine whether they're red, they're yellow, they're pink, they're purple, you know, what color they are. So there should be good breaking flowers on them. But of course, to make sure that you've got shelf life, you don't want them to be full blown open because in that case, if they're full blown open, side to side and just a mound of beautiful color, the shelf life is about maybe about less than a week. And of course, at this time of the year, um, when there's not as much foot traffic, we're really using mums to keep color in the garden center to create excitement for the consumers, so that they come in and they buy things that look great. So when we talk about retail ready, I'm always thinking about that you're at least about upwards to 25% showing color. Because in our studies of retailability, what what, we're, what drives people to pick up a plant and buy it is that when you have about 25% of the flowers open, so you have 75% green, 25% open. That's kind of the first point when consumers start to pick up plants and take them home. They're a little concerned before that point, and then as soon as they're full-blown open, they tend to be you know they're going to buy them, but. People who buy mums know that they don't last, so that um, you know, for like a say a petunia, which will continue to rebloom, that's a one one and done kind of program. So that they tend to shy away from those fully blown open plants until later in the season when it's cool. So these early mums look at 25 percent. Then as we go a little bit later, you may want to go to 50 percent, and then of course as we come into the end of the season, you want to be you know pretty close to 75 plus percent um, full open so that, um, you have some retailability and some consumer, um, post-harvest life.
0: That makes sense. I think, you know, you do see that, especially early in the season that folks just need to know what color that mum's going to be. It's going (coughs) to be yellow. And then they they realize that they've got some time for those blooms to open. That's, that's really good advice. Thanks. Yep. So what do you, give me a couple of things that we're going to talk about in the next Thirty minutes just to sort of set the stage, and then we'll jump into uh, into the actual uh, meat of the conversation.
1: Okay, we're going to just pretty much we're going to touch on this whole again, this thermal periodicity to help you predict where what size your mums are going to be. Are they going to initiate? When are they going to initiate? To help you orderly plan your sales program, and then of course, like all good plans, um, they never work out like we plan. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk about some things you can do to uh, modify your plan on the fly um, so that you can change and make sure that you've got a highly saleable product going into market. And then, of course, there's just, again, you know, the last thing you do is just some common sense points on how to make sure that you've got the best quality performing product that goes from your bench to the retail bench.
0: Perfect. That's going to be great. And I think that that will provide a really nice wrap up for this three-part series. So, Let's start off by thinking about your crop at this moment. And you talked a little bit about what you're seeing out there in the field. You know, the the crop or the pots should be covered. The mums should be actively growing, maybe half half the size that you want. Um, Can you dig a little bit deeper into that about what the plants need to look like at this point? And I know that when we've talked about this, there is what does the plant look like when you look down on it? So what does the top of the plant look like? And then then equally or probably more critical is what does the plant look like within that pot? You already talked about the fact that some of these pots are 140 degrees sitting on, uh, or sitting on uh, ground cover or ground cloth. Hopefully that's not the case, but you talk about what, what the crop needs to look like from the top down and then what it needs to look like when you pop that plant onto the container.
1: Yeah, okay, so when we take a look from the top down, what we want to be able to see is, is that at this point for natural season, which of course is different than um, your short day crop, but your natural season crop, you want to be able to look down on it and you should have nicely lobed leaves at the top of the plant. If you start getting these strappy leaves, you're gonna, those are um, indicative of the plant is starting to go reproductive or as well on the way to being reproductive. So you really want to have those leaves that are nicely lobed, that they're like the lower leaves um, and that they are unfolding. The plants is soft and supple. Good green foliage. Um, you want to have some branching um, in the lower canopy of the plant, so that the plant is starting to fill out. And that should there should be some that are still fairly small because we still have you know a good month to fill out and get those um, branches to come out and fill out the whole container, provide those side flowers that are so critical to giving you a high quality mum. When you pop the roots, um, the plant out of the um, pot what you should see is you should see a nice root mass from top to bottom. If you're seeing that you've got all your roots up on the top, that tells me that you're not watering thoroughly. You're not getting water all the way to the bottom of the pot. So that what's happening is you might be drying out at the bottom and or concentrating salts at the bottom of the pot and the roots are not going to go down. If the roots tend to be, um, on, uh, you know, as they're only in the bottom and at the top well that's probably not too bad as long as you can have some roots in the middle but you really want to make sure that you've got roots at this point all the way to the bottom of the pot creating a nice bottom um, solid mat why that's important is, is that a lot of your nutrients are basically accumulating in the bottom of the container and that this is a good reservoir for the plant so that they can hang on a little bit longer and so that they'll have better retailability if you can have roots to the bottom of the container. So, um, and of course the roots should be nice white branched and they, um, you shouldn't have any, you might see a little bit of um, tan spots or brown black spots on it here and there because you know, some roots do die, but um, by and large you should see a nice white um, root system throughout the entire root ball. Does that okay, give you a good so, pick, Bill?
0: Yeah, absolutely. You're looking for the lobed leaves on the top, a nice soft plant, healthy green looking, well branched. And then when you pop it out, you want to see those nice white roots all the way to the bottom. Yeah. I think that's a really good, a good check and that's something that can be easily done, you know, every day, every other day when you walk that crop. So how about, let's check back into that topic that we we talked about in the first part of this series, and you mentioned earlier, um, the thermoperiodicity. Can you review that process of flower initiation? Because I know it can be confusing to people, and then talk a little bit about, and you mentioned it earlier, how important the thermoperiodicity is at this stage when you talk about sizing those mums up to deliver to retail.
1: Yeah, this is always one of the great dilemmas is, um, are my plants going to be big enough or are they going to be on time? Those are the, probably the two most common questions we get as we go through the next couple of weeks. What we know is, is that this temperature in, um, is during the period from about July 20th to about August 5th is really critical in determining are you going to have monster mums, huge product, or you're going to have minor uh, mini mums, which are very short and mm-hmm. um, not as well branched. So you kind of, this is the window when we basically determine whether we're going to have big or small mums. <clears throat> what, um, what, if we talk, if we go review thermoperiodicity, what that means is, is that um, mums, as everyone knows, are short day plants. But there's a giant comma, but at the end of this, it all depends upon the temperature. If the temperatures are from between, say, and it's the night temperature that's critical, day temperatures can be whatever, but it's the night temperature that's critical. So if your night temperature is between, say, 65 and, um, and 70, those plants will be, um, potentially, they might go reproductive. As you go above seventy degree night temperatures, those plants will be vegetative regardless of photoperiod. And actually, as you go above eighty five degrees, the plants cannot initiate flowering. So that there's, um, they're basically they're not sensitive at all to photoperiod. So there's um, that little window in that uh, the seventies where they um, can be vegetative under. Um, long days but they can also be reproductive under short days but as you go down below 70 degrees they become progressively more reproductive regardless of photo period okay did i confuse you yet bill should i recap um no i think
0: that okay. I, I do think that that make, that makes sense um but yeah like you said the, the real questions are are they gonna be big enough are they gonna be on time
1: Okay, so how you how you judge this is you go out there and you um, you look at your thermo, a thermometer. Put some thermometers out there in the field, the high lows, because that's really critical to understand what's going on out there in your field. Um, what's the measurement in your greenhouse or at your house might not be as useful as what's happening in the field because that's where the action is. So what you want to look at is, is how cold did it get last night? So, you know, if it stays in that 65 to 70, you're probably, you know, if it's one or two nights, eh, that happens. If all of a sudden you start having these very cool 55, 60 degree days, and I was up in Northern Minnesota um, a week ago, and sure enough, it was 57 degrees every morning, that's cold, Mm -hmm. that would be, um, especially if it was overnight for several nights, Um, you need about three nights at below 60 degrees is enough to initiate flowering in most of the varieties. So that's why we need to have a high-low thermometer and we want to take a look at what is my temperature. Because if your temperatures are staying in the desirable range, no problem. For those people, and that will help decide, you know, when am I going to be flowering? Because, um, and is it going to be big enough? Because if you experience the low temperatures, which initiate the plants, and your plants are at about half your desired final height, you're good to go. If they're less than half your desired height, well, then we're gonna to have to use some other things that we'll talk about later about when we talk more about graphical tracking. If on the other hand, you're a short day guy, so you're pulling short day cloth on these and you know that it's hot, and of course you weren't able to get the white and black plastic um, to use, so you have just black plastic to use, and you know that it's gonna be really hot underneath there. What you can do is is you can um, not pull at the end of day, but come back in, set your alarm and come back in, say at four o'clock in the morning and pull the shade cloth at about 4 a.m. and then run it so that it then goes into the morning, um, say nine, 10 o'clock, which will then give you enough hours of darkness to actually allow for induction of those plants. So, you know, and also it won't hopefully heat up as badly as if you were to pull the black cloth the night before and they just bake all night. A lot of times when we talk to growers that have pulled short day cloth and they have not been able to um, get the plants um, induced um, and they're delayed, it always goes back to they pulled at the end of the day did not open once the sun set and then did not, um, then opened it up too early in the morning. And then the plants basically heated up all night and they basically would not initiate because it, the temperatures were above that a critical 80, 85 degree night temperature. So it's really important to understand what is your temperature underneath black cloth so that you can make sure that you understand, did we get initiation or did we not? Um, so it, it's really that's really critical um, to basically understand what you need to do to get those plants in bloom on time. And also, are you at the right size? So does that um, oh, help people understand uh, the critical role of temperature and photo period?
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. I think that it's good to have a little bit of a refresher and then talk about how critical it is, like you said, um, we're talking right now at the end of July, and um, you do have that window right now of, of really nailing it so that you can send that awesome crop to market.
1: Yeah, so if, you, if you're if you too hot, you're going to be vegetative. If you're too cold, you're going to be reproductive. That's pretty much the message. Um, and it's, um, you know, too cold is wandering below 65. Too hot is wandering above um, 78.
0: And your advice to go out and buy some uh, thermometers so you can track the highs and the lows, put them out in the field, I think is really good and probably a pretty inexpensive uh, way to get a little bit of data on this.
1: Right, because once you know that, um, then that will help you decide, okay, so what do I need to do to bring this crop on into its desired final height? And what happens if I, you know, what are my strategies? Should I, A, I initiated them all they're initiated it got cold you know I planned this out nice sequence of varieties and everything sequenced out beautifully and they're all initiated too early now what do I do? you know so that helps you give me give, get you some strategies of how do you manage this crop going forward because that's really what you're trying to do is manage the crop
0: right and I think so let's switch gears a little bit and maybe this is a backtracking a tad, but when you were planning the varieties that you're going to use to hit these certain ship dates, I know that there's, um, like if you look in the Bald Seed Garden Mums catalog, there's a response groups. So you can select your product based on some of these response groups. And I know this has to do with scheduling, but what else can you tell us about how these groups help with selecting the best varieties to hit the dates? Because I know there are things you can do within the life of the crop to, to make sure that they time right and they, and they look retail ready when you want to ship them. But there's also an element of variety selection, right?
1: Oh, yeah, there's a huge part of it. Um, what they've done is is they, the garden mums, by definition, are those varieties that from the start of short days to first open flower is a defined period of time. And in a garden mums, six weeks, seven weeks, eight weeks are the definition of a garden mum. Then when you go to nine, 10 and 11, those are considered pot mums, um, which is a completely different market. Although you can use some nine week for garden mum purposes, but those really take a lot longer to flower. Then of course there's even longer ones that are in the teens and those are all cut flower types. So what it means is there's more leaves and it takes longer to initiate and there's more leaves that have to unfold so that, of course, remember every leaf gives you more inner nodes. So we like to use in the garden mum world, we like to use seven and eight week varieties, which basically, if you were to plant both of them at the same time, seven and eight week variety, and you both initiate them on the same day, then one group, the eight week will flower one week later than the seven week. So that you end up with seven and eights. So some growers will plant seven and eights together and they'll plant them, say every other week to give them a continuous um, flowering pattern. So in a perfect world where the night temperatures don't get too cold or they don't get too hot, this gives you a nice um, sequential flowering of your chrysanthemum um, season for you know six to eight weeks, depending upon how long your sales season is. So that's what, why growers will use these different response groups. If you're finding that all of your mums keep coming in at the same time, I would suggest that you go back and refer to the um, to the garden mum catalog and see are you using the right response groups. Um, and of course, one of the keys to remember is, is as you get to later season, you definitely want to be in... Um, some of the seven-week response groups versus eight weeks because they might be flowering too late. So making sure you've got the right response group is really critical in your overall timing of your program. And now, you know, as you go through this um, next month, now is the time to start taking notes as to when did they actually flower? You know, when was they hitting the 25% um open flower stage so that next so the next year you can make sure that you get the right varieties for the right time period. Does that help understand um, a little bit better the response groups, Bill?
0: Yes, absolutely. And I'll put a link to that catalog in the show notes. And just remember you can always contact (laughs) Ball at 809 879 Ball, your ball seed dry pack, you can send me an email um, and we'll make sure that you get a copy of the actual print catalog. But there are digital versions online and I'll link those in the show notes. So I'm going to move into a few kind of quick hit questions here that we'll we'll run through. Um, Starting with, if your retail customer wants some very early mums, like, I don't know, end of July, early August, when it's still pretty hot at night, like you just referenced, and the days are still long, how does does a grower accomplish that?
1: Um, Basically, of course, you start pulling short days. If you've got seven-week varieties, then you need to... um, back up seven weeks from the time that uh, that you want to sell them or ship them and you basically need to start pulling black cloth um you can you know basically and we of course strongly recommend using either the black cloth that has white on top of it if you're especially if you have to put the plastic really close to the plants if you've got a really high greenhouse where you've got the shade cloth up in the um up in the um upper part of the greenhouse, you basically want to make sure that you've got fans available um, to basically keep, try to keep the greenhouse as cool as possible during these warm nights um, as we go through the end of the summer. So um, growers will, especially if they want to be shipping in August, um, they probably have already started their black cloth program. So that's basically what, what you'll do. Um, And anything you can do to keep the air moving under that black cloth is really important to help reduce the temperatures.
0: Okay, and since we've already started talking about black cloth, can you talk a little bit about how long growers need to have the cloth on to induce the crop and um, maybe to hit a normal ship window when they should should pull the black cloth for short days? Right.
1: Um, Usually, floral initiation takes um, right around seven days. Um, you know, because you've got all these shoots at different stages of maturity and development, um, you know, some of them will initiate very rapidly um, within three to five days, and some of them will initiate a little, takes a little bit longer, um, say, seven to 10 days. So, you know, I, on average, usually within that first seven days is the critical time for floral initiation. Now, once they're initiated, what we know is that the higher the temperature, the um, shorter days does cause rap- more rapid development. So there's initiation and development. So if you have to basically only short day them for, let's say, you got a seven week variety and you short day them for three weeks, you can remove the short day cloth um, for that last, you know, the second half of the, um, you know, the induction period when development is occurring. Um, just to anticipate that it's going to be slightly slower than if you would have left the short day cloth on them, especially if it's hot. If it's cooler, it doesn't really make that much difference. Um, and of course, what what do you mean by hot and cold? Um, basically, when the, um, as the temperatures go above 70 degrees again, then, of course, that re- you best leave the short day on. Um, if the night temperatures are less than 70, you can pull the short day cloth off after you've had about three weeks.
0: Okay, and then, um, I guess a quick follow up to that you mentioned the the white and black cloth um, as being important if you know if you can if you can get your hands on it. what are the different types of black cloth and can you tell us um, a little bit why they're used and maybe any concerns you have with with one or the other based on some of your experience seeing these crops in in action?
1: right well the um, a the, the quick and dirty one of course is just pulling um, four mil or six mil plastic over the crop and um, just laying it on top of it. That is probably the most difficult to be successful with because of course you're heating up right at the top of the um, plants just due to the black plastic. Um, If you've gotta do that where you're just basically pulling plastic over the top of the crop um, and so it's sitting really literally on the plants, you probably need to get some of this white and black plastic so that there's white on the outside and um, black on the inside. This helps reflect some of the heat, the sunlight, which helps reduce the light. Growers will also build hoops so that they can get it to actually create some airspace between the top of the plant and the top of the plastic, and that um, is considerably better. Um, they sometimes will actually pull a um, heavy shade cloth, um, which is basically has some um, So the heat can basically dissipate through it so that you don't build up heat. And of course, the um, structured short day cloth is probably your best overall short day cloth. But that, of course, means that you've got a lot of money involved. And I'm not sure, unless you've got it built for some other purpose, um, whether you can justify it. Um, So not very many people have short day areas with automated shade cloth systems. But those are the kind of the three different um, scenarios that we see a lot of growers using.
0: Okay, I think that's a really good uh, warning is that if you are just pulling the plastic over the crops that they will really heat up there um, where they meet the plastic. And maybe at that <laughs> point it is a better bet to grab the the white on top, black on the bottom. Um, but really, if you can put a hoop or some sort of a structure over that crop, you're in even better shape um, right. to allow a little bit more airflow. Now, that, I think that's really good advice. I've seen it all. I've, you know, I'm sure you have too. Yeah. Growers can be successful with any of those. Um, But uh, it's a matter of, um, you know, your best chance of success and sending that best crop to market. That's why we're doing this series of podcasts.
1: Right. And, And understanding that if you make this choice, you're going to get that response. So if you only have got black plastic, make sure you've got a high low thermometer underneath there so you can really gauge what temperatures you're experiencing. Cool.
0: No, it's, that, that's really good advice. Um, we talked a little bit before about um, the fact that now's the time of year when you're really determining whether you're going to have monster mums or mini mums. And going back to the previous episode when we talked about uh, this graphical tracking tool, and I know for a fact that many listeners checked it out because I got a lot of emails saying, hey, thanks for making this resource available. Um, and it really is a good tool. It's at ballseed.com. Again, I'll put the link in the show notes. But when we talk about hitting the, the graphical tracking numbers desired, can you talk a little bit about that this time of year? And um, I guess kind of just bottom line, if the crop's too short, what do you need to do? If the crop's too tall, what do you need to do?
1: Um, yep. And actually, the um, at the ball field day last week, Um, we had a demonstration that a lot of people stopped by to look at and were really interested in what we had come up with for a simple little tool to um, help you decide what the height is. And this simple little tool for graphical tracking is basically buy yourself some um, one-inch-wide masking tape or painter's tape. And then basically you um, you take a bamboo stake and you um, then stack the tape one is, so stack them right on top of each other up the up the stake and then you could put numbers on them you know this is you know eight inches nine inches 10 11 12 13 14 15 you get the you get the gist right bill yeah so that as you're walking by you can see that oh well it's the 15 is gone so these plants are at least 15 inches tall so you could quickly go and see how tall are my plants so you don't have to have, figure out where's my tape measure, where's, um, you know, how tall are they fumbling around with tape measures and trying to graphically track it. So it's a cool little tool. I think Chris Beatty um, even um, is going to have a video on using that tool. So let's um, keep uh, eyes alert, and I'm sure, Bill, you'll be able to send some information out on that also. Oh, Absolutely. Um, So then um, what we want to do is want to make sure that we're graphically tracking so we know that if the plants are too short now is the time to start putting some fascination. It's a gibberellin and it will help stretch the plants so multiple applications early in the crop to stretch it to get it up to size is a much better plan than trying to wait until you've got visible bud and then stretch them because then they if you do it late with a high rate to get them to hit the size, you start getting them very floppy and more spaghetti and they don't look quite right. And it could also affect flower development. So start looking at spraying early to make sure that uh, multiple applications are applied. An alternative that you could use is looking at um, ammonia plus phosphorus, because we know that high levels of ammonia plus high levels of phosphorus will cause stretching in chrysanthemums. So, using 94515, that is a high level of ammonia and phosphorus. Those two will help stretch the plant. 202020 um, has a lot of ammonia and phosphorus. That will help stretch the plant. So, making sure you're using your fertilizers also to um, accentuate the stretch. That's if your plants are too small. Conversely, you want to start thinking about are my plants above the line? Are they above normal? Um, are they getting to be too tall? Well, in that case, one of the th- first things you want to do is back off on that ammonia and phosphate. So, if you're using 20-20-20, um, 20 20, 20, 20, 10, 20 or other um, phosphorus feeds where the number is greater than 10, you may want to start backing off on that particular fertilizer or switching to A low or no fertile um, phosphorus like a 13-2-13, 17-4, 17-5. There's a number of different formulations that are low phosphorus, low ammonia, and the plants will then start toning down and stop stretching. That's the first thing you need to do because trying to do it with a growth regulator without also the fertilizer kind of is working against yourself because you've got the gas pedal with the fertilizer, the high ammonia, high phosphorus pushing the plant to stretch, and you're trying to put the brakes on with the growth regulator. And, and how do you think that works, Bill?
0: Oh, that, that does not sound like a good plan.
1: No, it's pretty it's pretty unsuccessful and unsatisfying. So make sure that you get your feed to more nitrate, less ammonia, less phosphorus, and at the same time that you're then looking at um, using a butazole, bonsai, Or any of the other um, as a very good effective um, growth regulator to pretty much slow them down and get them to stop.
0: Okay, but like anything it's better to get ahead of these problems uh, earlier versus versus later so that you can use a less aggressive approach um, maybe a a few more a few additional times but uh, you're going to end up with a a much healthier crop at the end of the at the end of the
1: Slamming them at the end is never going to work well. You'll end up with um, problems of the plants just um, basically they don't look right and you could also start delaying flowering.
0: Which actually is a perfect segue into my next sort of quick question is you've heard, you know, you I've heard growers talk about PGRs affecting the flowering time. And if you're going to come in with a a growth regulator to try to uh, slow down the crop, Um, you might run into some issues, but can growers use a PGR to fine-tune the flowering if they have too many buds coming on?
1: Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, This is kind of one of those interesting, um, for every bad thing we do that could also be good, it's just how you look at it. Um, It's been known for years um, that B9 is very effective at delaying flowering. And so the general Wisdom, the, the uh, tribal knowledge is, don't apply benign 9 late in a crop because you'll delay flowering. Well, let's say you ended up with all of your mums initiated at the same time. You see, you need to have them scheduled out. You know, you're sitting a 1,000 mums and you need to be shipping about 250 a week. And you're going, how am I gonna do this? Am I just gonna have some that are blown open too far? Am I gonna have some, you know, what am I, how do I manage this? Prior to showing cracking color, because once you crack color, B nine is no longer effective at delaying flowering. Okay, but if you do it at the early visible bud, the pea bud stage, when those buds are just starting to show up, you put on a light application of B nine, a thousand parts per million. You can um, basically get about a week's delay for every application. So what? we recommend growers do is if they're trying to spread their crop out so they're not all flowering at the same time, is decide how do they want to spread it? Do they want to spread it in thirds? Do they want to spread it in quarters? You know, you make that decision. And then you let one group just let it go and flower normally. But the other two, if you're trying to do thirds, you basically spray them once a week with a thousand parts per million. After you start seeing that they're getting a little bit more differentiation between the first group and the second and third, then you stop spraying the second group and it will slowly start coming on. But yet you still continue to spray the third group. So that this helps you spread the crop out um, a little bit. Is it a perfect way? No, it takes a little work to kind of figure it out, but it does help you spread the crop flowering time out so that you do have plants that go into market in that deal stage of development.
0: Okay. I, I, I like that. And again, your, your advice, you know, your 1,000 parts per million, B9, that's at first bud, not when you see flower. So. Right.
1: Once you see color, it's over. Nothing gotcha. happens. You, you, it's not effective. So you got to, and you could put on, I've seen growers put on a three, up to four applications and hold them back. But that fourth application is kind of dicey. It doesn't, doesn't work real well. But hopefully okay. you're not you're not trying to hold a crop for weeks.
0: <laughs> That's for sure.
1: So let's talk real quick about
0: feed like we do with every crop. Um, should growers be adjusting their feed program <laughs> to hit EC and pH levels? You talked about that a little bit earlier. Um, what formulations make sense this this time during the crop cycle? And then um, what happens when that slow-release fertilizer that you applied when potting them up runs out? Um, you talked how the temperature does affect it, so it might not have. Um, might not hit the crop yet, but what happens when that when that runs out? What do you you need to do in terms of uh, fertility?
1: Well you usually, um, if you've had a lot of hot weather um, and you're using a slow-release fertilizer that releases due to temperature, um, then what you're seeing is is that you can start measuring the EC of the soil and you'll start seeing that the EC is going to start dropping. A weekly test with the EC is a good barometer of what's happening over the life of the crop. So you want to see that the EC might be coming up and then it should be coming down. And you basically want to make sure that um, if you're using a two part soil to one part, sorry, two part water to one part soil, that the EC is about um, above one. So that that tells you that there's plenty of feed still in that soil. If you start seeing the EC coming up, Um, As long as it stays, you know, one to two, you're probably okay if it goes over two. That means that the plant is not taking it up and that the salts is now gonna start becoming lethal. Um, Why does that happen? Well, one of the things we know is is that once the plant reaches visible bud, it's pretty much done taking up nutrients. So it just naturally basically shuts off any additional nutrient uptake. So that naturally, if nutrients are being applied but the plants are not taking it up, what's going to happen is is the nutrients basically build in the soil and the EC builds up. Because remember, the EC of the soil is a measurement of what's left after the plant has removed what it needs. So if the EC is going up over time, that means you're, you're putting on too much. So what you need to be doing is you need to be cutting back on the feed. So when we start looking at our fertilization programs, what we can see is is that as we start coming up to visible bud, we can probably start backing off either the rate, if you're feeding at 400, you're cutting it back to 200, or even cutting it back to 100, or you're feeding at 200 every other or every third watering based on what the EC levels are. So as you come into the end of the crop, you monitor the EC to see, where am I? is my EC starting to stay right around one, then no no adjustments needed. If it's starting to climb above one, cut back on the feed. If it's dropping below 0.5, you may want to up the feed a little bit. So you use that as kind of a guide as to a little more gas, a little less gas to make sure that you've got the right feed. And then of course, as I've mentioned earlier, you want to start moving from ammonia-based fertilizers to nitrate-based fertilizers. That will help tone the plants Make them more retailable um so that they're more tough as they go into retail
0: okay I think that that those are really good um bits of advice and and it really again it comes down to measurement and if you can do a weekly e c test you're going to be in uh, much better shape than if you're kind of going by gut or feel yeah um let's move to disease just you brought it up earlier um you talked about a little bit of what you're seeing out there in the field with the pythium phytophora um but what you know with all this grain or rain and the growers starting to see some of these problems what are the best uh, most effective sprays or drenches to use if, if you're if you're spotting some of these diseases <laughs> cropping up
1: well, you know, I I'll tell you the diseases, and then you need to go back and look at the uh, Grower Talks articles on um, what is the best ones for you to use because um, different growers have different experiences. But um, at this time of the crop, we need to be worried about Pythium. Pythium is a serious problem because um, if it, there's been a lot of rain, it's rain is of course um, keeps the soil wet, and uh, Pythium, Phytophthora, are water molds. They like to have a lot of be wet. Um, as the plants start to mature, they, as they go reproductive, they start slowing down their water uptake. Um, as, and so what happens is a lot of times we see that the plants can easily be overwatered. And of course you've probably got low spots in your um, ground. So usually we like to see as you come into visible bud, it's a good idea to put a preventative Pythium control program in place and get that treatment out there if you've had a problem with fusarium you want to also include something for fusarium Um, if you've had some other diseases you may want to look at um, applying different uh, drenches to basically control those Um, also we want to be looking at as the canopy starts closing and if you got a lot of um, wet sclerotinia can be a problem and there's good articles on uh, what sclerotinia looks like and also um, there's some other foliar diseases that can come in, but scout the crop. If you're unsure, um, you know, by all means, send good, clear pictures. If you can't identify it in the picture that what the disease looks like, um, then we're not going to either. But if you've got a good mm-hmm. picture that shows us um, what it is, we usually can start telling you what disease you've got if you send those in. So, um, by all means, scout the crop and let's take a look at the diseases that you've got in your um, in your crop out there.
0: Excellent. And in, in thinking about diseases, let's move a little bit to insects. Are there any insect challenges to be aware of um, as growers go into the final weeks of this mum crop?
1: Yeah, pretty much um, you should have gotten all of your leaf miners should be under control. But you know, if you haven't watched your crop to look for leaf miner, now's the time to double down and get a good and solid look. Probably the um, sleeper out there is thrips. Um, now, a lot of growers are you know the surrounding fields are going to start being cut. Um, there's going to be a lot of thrips movement um, from those fields. Now we're really concerned about western flower thrips, but there's also an onion thrips that um, is a little smaller and looks similar. Um, but we're not as concerned about onion thrips, other than um, it can discolor the flower. But it's, the onion thrips are not a carrier of the t- tobacco's. Um, spotted tobacco uh, TSWV, tobacco spotted wilt virus or INSV and patients necrotic spot virus. Um, these two are called TOSPO viruses. Um, why this is concerned in certain part of the country, um, they're basically, it's um, if they show up to having either the TOSPO viruses, it's a stop sale. So you wanna get out there and make sure that you've got thrips under control, get your sticky cards out there to monitor it and make sure that you've got your um, thrips under control. Every so often we get an aphid infestation moving through, so just being walking the crop and, and watching what's going on is a really good idea. Make sure you get in the middle because that's where you're probably the problems are starting.
0: So it's the usual suspects. It's yeah, thrips, it's usual it's
1: suspects. Then. Yeah. You can find them if you look for them. Um, and mm-hmm. so it's a question of finding them, look for them, and then um, you know, checking the guidelines as to what was the effect of control.
0: Okay. And again, we'll link to that pest and disease uh, guide from grower talks that should have some really good information on that yeah. as well. Yeah. So so we have gone through a ton. Um, I mean, just tons of questions, especially throughout the, uh, the entire series, but certainly with this third episode. And we are right now on the home stretch. So to finish this up, let's think about you know the end of the line. You're, you're shipping this quality mum crop to market during the heat of the summer. I know it can be tricky. It can be a challenge. You know, you could be hitting 90 degree days when you're when you're shipping some of these earlier mums. So can you talk about what growers need to do to make sure that crop or, you know, do their best to make sure the crop is not overstressed before it arrives in the store? Because I'm guessing this is probably overlooked quite a bit, which means that it's doubly critical to talk about.
1: Right. Um, The biggest problem that we have in shipping garden mums is the fact that You know, the crop looks great out in the field. You put it up on the racks. um, You put it, um, you throw it in the trucks. And when it gets to the um, other end of the trucking um, and they pull it off, the plants look pretty sad. They're dried out, they're wilted, they turned yellow, the flowers look bad, you got disease problem. These are all indicative of heating in transit. Remember that your truck, um, is designed to maintain a specific temperature especially when it's packed tight wall to wall front to back and that's what it's designed to do. It's designed to maintain an existing temperature. It's not designed to reduce the temperature um, because that it's usually the cooling systems aren't really set up to do that. Um, so you really have to be aware of the fact that what is the temperature what is the effect of the soil temperature, because really, if you think about what's, where's the temperature, the temperature is all in the soil. Everybody should own at least one or two infrared thermometers. You can get them online for 20 bucks. It's the best 20 bucks you've ever spent, because what it does is it allows you to predict what is my problem out there. You know, with an infrared thermometer pointed at the soil, not the plastic, but you got to actually, you know, get in there and pull the plant out and Pull it out of the pot and then uh, measure the soil temperature. If you've got soil temperatures that are starting to run, you know, 80, 90, 100, 120 degrees, you've got a potential problem. When especially when you load those suckers up into a a tight rack, throw the tight rack onto a cooler, into a um, into a reefer, and you're just not going to get the temperatures down. So what can a grower do? Well, they can do a couple things. One is try to pack either early in the morning or you know, late, you know, late at night, but that's really not practical. Or if you're gonna have to um, pack um, during the day, which most growers do, check the temperature. If the temperatures are really high, so you start having soil temperatures of 90 and above, you may wanna take some cold water and just water your plants with cold water. And that will significantly reduce the temperature of the um, soil and then they'll travel well. We use this trick extensively within our young plant um, you know shipping is that we find that if we can reduce the soil temperature, everything travels well, regardless of what the truck temperature is. So that's key to success is getting that temperature. There's a lot of work that's been done, but I can't stress enough. you know packing, making sure that you move your plants into a um, shaded area, puts fans on them to try to reduce the soil temperature, Add cold water to them to reduce the soil temperature. Anything you do to get the soil temperature down, you know, 70 degrees is a wonderful place, but that's, of course, more complicated. But um, if you can get the soil temperature down, things will travel much, much better.
0: So those are really good best practices to share with, uh, with the entire greenhouse team. You know, keep the trucks in a shaded area. You probably can figure out how to do that. Pack the truck in the morning. I bet that you can... Figure out how to install that sort of protocol in your in your mum shipping plan, and then water with cold water. So these are sort of low tech ways to uh, to really make sure that all that hard work you've put into this crop over all these months does not kind of go to waste when if the plants arrive all wilty and and looking looking sad at the store. So. Take take this advice, talk to your whole team, get these uh, installed in your best practices, and I guarantee this is the kind of thing that'll really pay off. Yeah. So since this is the final episode, and we've talked about, you know, dozens of topics over the last three episodes. Have we missed anything? You know, feel free to jump back into a previous episode or stick with finishing. I'm going to leave this up to you, Will. Have, have we missed anything that, that you, you know, you woke up in the middle of the night two weeks ago going, oh, man, I wish I had covered that in episode one?
1: No, I think, you know, the problem is this was a three, se- three series um, shotgun of everything that you ever wanted to know about um, Will's way of growing mums. Um, and uh, hopefully this has been beneficial. I I hope that the take home message that people um, have is monitoring the crop is critical in your decision process. So making sure that you're doing graphical tracking, making sure that you've got a high load thermometer so that you can measure the temperature so that you know what did my plants experience because that's going to predict what is going to happen downstream to my plants. Are they going to flop, you know, are they going to crown bud? Are they going to bud up on time? Are they going to be too tall? Are they going to be too small? Um, you know, it helps you if you can monitor those um, two aspects. And then also monitoring the EC and pH will kind of help you with, you know, should you put the gas on or should you put the, a little bit more braking so that it'll help you steer this um, crop and keep it on on speed. So, you know, those are the the levers that we want to be controlling to have a successful mum crop. And that's that hopefully growers have come away with and we've given you some ideas and some tools to basically help you manage this crop more successfully and hopefully less costly so that you have 100% sell through. Because remember, for every plant you don't sell or doesn't sell at the, um, at the desired price, um, you basically consume the profits on four to seven additional plants. Um, so we want to make sure we've got 100% sell through on every single one going out at full value. And monitoring the data helps you do, achieve that goal.
0: It's great. And that harkens right back to your bio that I've read before each episode that talks about one of the, one of the key things that you're focusing on now is reducing the shrink and how You know, we're not our margins are not huge in this industry at at any level of the supply chain. And, you know, anything that you can do to, you know, have a have an additional saleable plant at retail. You know, I love what you said about when you lose one, you're losing the profits on four. That's that's fascinating. I've never really thought about it that way. So monitoring is critical in your decision making practice. Track your crops, get that thermometer, scout your crops, walk your crops, measure the EC and pH. Um, I think that these are all, uh, again, best practices that you can work with your entire team on. So, Will, I'm—I know I can speak for all the listeners and tell you how much we really appreciate your mom expertise and how willing you are to join STEM and take this time to share so much of your knowledge. So, how can, how can listeners get in touch with you if they have questions? Are there any resources you want to share? Um, I'll make sure I link to the new Ball Seed Mom website that talks, you know, includes some of what we've talked about. We'll get that grower talks guide in there. Um, I know that the MUM team is available um, if you want to, if you have specific questions during this critical time. So what are some ways that the listeners can get in touch with any specific questions?
1: Well, we've got um, the MUM helpline, which is a um, email if you want to send an email in. it's uh, <clears throat> It's got a wide range of um, experts within the BALL organization, everything from um, the product development people who know your varieties down to the nth degree to technical specialists on soil, diseases, insects. And we can, um, with a good picture that shows what you're trying to describe to us, we can usually diagnose what's going on or basically recommend what to do. So that's kind of the, the first line of, um, of assistance that we can provide. And I'm sure, Bill, that you can um, include the mom helpline email. Um, Absolutely. Those growers who have you know, very specific questions that they want, they can, of course, try try me at uh, WHealy, H E W H E A L Y at BallHort.com. And uh, we could try to work things out um, as far as what your issues are. So um, I hope everyone um, has a successful mum season. And if not, you know, there's help at Ball to make sure that we can kind of work you through those um, bump, rough spots that you're experiencing.
0: Excellent. And I will give a shout out to the Ball Mums uh, Ball Seed Mum catalog that is an amazing resource. It's not just a catalog with pretty pictures. It is a catalog full of charts and graphs and a lot of what Will and I have talked about in terms of propagation growing on, finishing the crop is in there, um, full lists of all the rooting stations, trial uh, grounds that, that Ball has mums at. Um, and I'd certainly know a lot of the ball seed sales reps are Mum experts as well. And, uh, certainly ball seed customer service and color link, uh, always are there ready to answer your call and give you as much information as they can. So there's no lack of Mum resources at ball. We've been a Mum company for a long time and, uh, really, uh, want everyone to be successful with this crop, like Will said, and personally will, and from all the listeners, Thank you again so much. Um, and to the listeners, I really do hope that, that everyone out there finishes a premium garden mum crop. You hit those retail specs that not only are going to wow the shoppers and landscapers, but really when it comes down to it, we're looking to achieve the maximum sell-through and uh, beautiful mums out in front of uh, everybody's houses and businesses across North America. So remember to share this episode with your entire production team because it's going to take a whole team for uh, mum success and We'll be back in a couple weeks with another fun filled episode of STEM insider tips for greenhouse pros. Again, thank you so much, Will.
1: Thanks. It's been great fun.
0: Thanks so much for listening to STEM insider tips for greenhouse pros and special thanks for helping us reach almost 12,000 downloads. We actually might reach it by the time this episode releases. It's so exciting to see the numbers jumping exponentially these days. If you enjoy this podcast, please take a minute to subscribe and give it a good rating on your podcast player, or better yet, write a quick review or share it with your coworkers and peers. This will help expose more potential listeners to STEM. We really appreciate the support. I'm Bill Calkins, and you can always reach me by email at bcalkins at That's B C A L K I N S at ballhort.com. Be sure to follow Ball Seed on LinkedIn for tons of B2B content related to STEM topics, timely technical tips, and more. And now you can follow STEM Greenhouse Podcast on Instagram. That's STEM Greenhouse Podcast, all one term. And you can find us on Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, and all the different podcast uh, stores that you might listen to podcasts at. So let's end this episode with a quote about finishing strong from corporate trainer Gary Ryan Blair. A ferocious concentration and fanatical execution is what you need to finish strong.